Trent doesn't need an introduction. I told him last night. When you're when you're sharing, this is your family. You're just having a family talk. And I've watched him these two weeks as he started to prepare. Actually, when I share with him this idea of him teaching, and I saw him get a little nervous. And I've watched him these two weeks pray, and prepare, and study. I've seen his humility. I've seen his submission. And he's as he's endured this, as he's taken on this burden to be able to share God's word with you guys. And I just wanted to read a passage from 2 Timothy. We talk about that we're that we're gospel driven, that everything we do is because of the gospel, because, because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that the gospel is a word, it's this word that God has given us. And from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling the word of God. And as we rightly handle the word of God and we talk about this in discipleship, that we're not to share our opinions, we're not to share our own thoughts, we're not to share what we think, we're to share this is what God's word says. This is what God has communicated to us. And so I know that that's what Trent has done. He has studied this. He has prepared. He's applied it in his own life. He's struggled through this. And now as he shares, we would give him that place. As he shares, he has the authority of God as he shares his word. And so I just pray that God would speak through him and use him in our lives. Before I start, I would just like to thank everybody for their prayers. Gracias. Yeah, as I look across this room, I truly do see my family. And so I am going to be sharing about giving, about generosity and church finances. But before I dive into that, I think it's important to give you some personal insight into my life. So you can see where I'm coming from. So my father... He grew up in a wealthy household. His dad was in a And he was surrounded by money. And so he grew up in the Pacific Palisades in Bel Air. And that's what he saw. That's what he does. And when my dad was around 18 or 19, his father lost the family fortune. It was all pulled out from under him. And so my entire childhood, Growing up in my father's house, I've watched him strive and work and fail to try to regain that lost wealth. You see, his hope has been in material things. And it's been in trying to build this material fortress so he can feel it And that's something that's translated into my life. Seeing my father live that out day in and day out, constantly talking about me, constantly talking about his friends who are still living that lifestyle and the happiness that they must have because they don't have to worry about money. And so one of the ways that materialized in my father's life was cheapness. My dad would always try to hold on to the money that he had. And I remember one summer when I was 14 or 15 that in order to reduce the electricity bill, my father actually drained the flames from the air conditioning. So we were dying to save an extra $40 a 
And that cheapness has had a tendency to translate into my life as well. On occasion, you know, Dan Schreiber is one of my closest friends. He's called me cheap. I think Brittany is called me cheap. One of my friends. And, yeah, just an example of that cheapness is when we moved into our house in West Hills, one of the things we had to decide was we were going to get a home phone. Teníamos que decidir si tener un teléfono para la casa. If we don't have a home phone, pensa, si no tenemos un teléfono en la casa, si por, lo hacemos por la computadora, podemos right. pagar so 17 dólares. Entonces teníamos el teléfono por la computadora casi nunca sirvía. And so as we go through por, this, I want you to know that I haven't arrived. Right, this is stuff that I'm still working through and battling through, but we need to go to the scriptures and understand what God has to say about giving. We need to understand what God has to say about giving. And the topic of finances and giving oftentimes is, is typically an untouchable topic. The other things that shy away from it within the church. With our friends and, and with people outside of the And I remember a little over a year ago, when you one of the things we had to do was a church checking account. And I had only known Brett for maybe a week or two, and we were going down to Chase Bank over here on Sherman Way, and we came to open this account. And I remember I'm sitting across the table from the relationship manager, like the guy who's opening the account for us. Brits on my right side. And one of the ideas we had was that we should get a church credit card. We put all the expenses on the credit card. We'll pay it off in full at the end of each month and we'll get 1% cash back. Right, so we'll actually save this money. So I was the one filling out the application. And he's asking me a bunch of questions and I'm responding to the questions and bringing me right how much do you make a year? What's your annual income? And all of a sudden, I, I feel my heart racing. Brit's sitting next to me. I don't know. I don't know Brit. I've never told anyone how much income I make other than my wife and my entire wife. And now I'm going to expose it to Brit. Wow, I wonder how much he's going to be tithing based on his income. Is he going to judge me? Right? And so it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for us to talk about finances. But the interesting thing is, if you go to 2 Corinthians, giving generosity is a topic that Paul boldly spoke about. He openly spoke about it. He encouraged it. It wasn't off limits for Paul. And by the same token, if you look at our words, one of the things he spoke most about, most about while his time on earth was money. Besides the kingdom of heaven, the number one he talked about was money. Out of the 39 parables that Jesus shared in the Bible, 11 of those deal with the topic of money. So brothers and sisters, this is something that we need to address and that we need to examine. So I'd like to give you, take, a, take a couple minutes and give you some context around chapters 8 and 9 which is what we're going to be talking about. So Paul wrote 2 Corinthians while he was in the church in Macedonia. And he was in Macedonia gathering a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. 
One thing I want to highlight is that the saints in Jerusalem at the time were impoverished. They were in need of financial And so while Paul was in Macedonia, he was bragging about the church in Corinth. He was bragging about the fact that a year earlier, they had promised this gift. They had promised that this wonderful gift was going to be ready for Paul by the time he made it in Corinth. Y ellos no iban a tener so by him writing about the writings of the zeal, he was spurring them out of the Indians. It caused them to be more generous. It caused them to have zeal. But something has happened. Paul now becomes concerned that the zeal and the readiness of the Corinthians once passed is no And we don't know why it may not no longer be there, but it's, it's clear from chapters 8 and 9 that he's, Paul is really concerned that they're not going to be ready to give this gift that they promised to give. And so the ties have turned. Now Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, is encouraging them with the generosity of the Macedonians. He's using their example as an example to spread So in the midst of encouraging the, the, the Corinthians, Paul gives us several principles and guidelines around giving and generosity that we should take So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 12 through 15, Paul gives us a picture of what giving should look like within the church and what giving should look like within the church. So now finish doing your work pues, so that your readiness and desire can be matched by your So when he's talking about your readiness for desire, he's talking about this gift, this offering that the Corinthians had promised to give in your ear. For if your readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. For if your readiness is there, Your abundance at the present time no. should supply their needs. No so their abundance may supply your needs. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered And so the picture that Paul is painting here is a picture of Paul. A picture of there being a certain equality among the saints. Right? That those who have an abundance are going to share that abundance with those who are in And one thing I think we should be careful note of is that in verse 12, it's clear that God never wants us to give beyond our means. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that I'm not saying God doesn't want us to give sacrificial. But we shouldn't borrow. The church we shouldn't borrow to give. And on a personal level, we shouldn't borrow to give. We shouldn't give The other thing he talks about is talking about the condition of your of your heart. 
God doesn't care about the dollar amount. Dios no le importa la he cares if you have a readiness in your heart and if you're giving sacrificially. That's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. So if you're somebody who earns $10,000 a year or $5,000 and you're giving out of the readiness of your heart and you're giving sacrificially, that's acceptable. That's pleasing to the Lord. Because God doesn't care about the dollar amount. Porque no le importa la cantidad, le importa el corazón. Quiero que piensen ustedes sobre este concepto que el Señor tiene. Esos que tienen mucho que puedan compartir con esos que tienen necesidad. Hemos visto eso trabajando en la vida. Han visto la iglesia entera trabajar de esta manera. I think it's often difficult for the church in America to function this way because we have a wrong understanding of our possessions. When we have an abundance, it's because it's from our own work, from our own ingenuity. So then it becomes harder to share because we view our possessions as something that's ours, not something that's ours. The psalmist says in Psalm 24:1. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness of the world, and those who dwell I'll say it again. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness of the world, the world, and those who dwell with him. We're the Lord's. Our possession is the Lord's. This world is the Lord's. So I challenge you, to challenge yourself. How are you thinking about the things that you have? Do you view those as being yours? Or do you view those as being the Lord's? I have a tendency to fall in this trap. And I can easily believe that my success is because of my own work. So since I graduated from college, I've worked for a wine accounting firm for the past 14 years. And oftentimes I've worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I go to experts where I'm working a lot, I'm not working a lot, I'm working a lot. And because I work hard, it's easy to think that my success, what I've been entrusted with, is because of myself. But it's not. Everything that I have is because of God's grace. And we need to not deceive ourselves and think that it's because of us. Paul analogizes the sharing of, a, of a, those who have abundance sharing with those in need to the gathering of manna. Right, if you look at verse 15, he says, As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no left. So when the Jews left their wanting, they had no means to provide And the Lord rained down manna every morning. It was food. And every person in the family was to go out in the morning and collect manna. And they would take this manna and they would deposit it in a common family. And the head of the family would take this manna and he would then distribute it to those according to what they needed. There were some who were sick, who were ill, who were elderly, who couldn't go out and gather manna. Que no podían ir. Pero ya tenían que compartir con ellos. 
Some people collected an abundance of manna, more manna than what they could use. And they were distributed less manna. It was according to their need. In the same way, that's what the church should look like. Now, something interesting about manna, if you gathered more than you needed, what would happen? It would rot. It would turn into this awful stuff. And the Lord would become displeased. We need to ask ourselves, are we sharing the abundance that God's entrusted with us? Are we accumulating it? Is it at risk of A great illustration of this is found in Luke chapter 12. Verse 16. And this is Jesus sharing a parable about man, one of the eleven. And he told them the parable, saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have no one to steal my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my farms, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain. And my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. We laugh, eat, drink, and be merry. This is the picture of a successful person living in America. This is somebody who's successful by worldly standards. He's worked hard. He's sowed his fields. He's built arms. He's had an abundance. He takes that abundance and he stores that abundance and he accumulates that abundance. So when he retires, he can eat, drink, and be married. But at the end of his life, when God snatches his life from him, God says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I don't want to end my life and have God call me a fool for saving up treasures. Notice how many times this man says, I. What shall I do? I have no way to store. I will do this. I will store my grain. I will say to myself, I, 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 I. That's what he's talking about himself. Nowhere does he consider what God would have him to do with this abundance that he's blessed him with. And so in working through this, I have struggled. Ever since I started work 14 years ago, I have consistently put money away in my 401k. I've been accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And so I need to ask myself, as to you, why am I accumulating? Am I accumulating to build a bigger storehouse so that I can collect seashells on the beach in Florida when I retire? So pray for me now. I think there's wisdom in saving, by the way. But you need to ask yourself that real point in Now, this redistribution, right, when this is functioning properly, what this does, it creates equality among the saints. And it counteracts human society where imbalances are created. Right? Throughout history, 
The way society has worked, wealth and power and money is concentrated among the few, and the poor have little because of unjust systems. And so this redistribution helps to counteract the injustice and the hierarchical classes that, are, that tend to be created within society. And it creates a safety net for the poor and the destitute among us by distributing this wealth. So the takeaway or the point from this section of scripture is that we need to be sharing our abundance with those There's no There's no way out of it. Paul's clear. He says we need to be sharing our abundance when we have an abundance with those in Paul also tells us that we should be generous We should carefully consider the thought to it, contemplate what the Lord has Do you return with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Verses 6 to 8. Paul says, The point is this. Whoever is in this Whoever is in this Each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion. For God loves So he gives this illustration of this farmer who's sowing his seed. The harvest of the farmer is in direct correlation with how liberal he is with his seed. If he's stingy with his seed, the harvest is going to be small. The more liberal with his seed, the greater the harvest. And the harvest extends just beyond material things. It increases your righteousness, which we'll get to in a little bit. So we should take note that the sowing of your seed can take many different forms. It doesn't have to necessarily be money. Generosity can take many different forms. So an example that comes to mind is Sergio. Sergio may not have a stockpile of money or a financial abundance that he can share. But what he does have is the ability to repair cars. And he's demonstrated his generosity and his ability to fix cars by helping Mark. He's worked on my car. He's worked on Britain and Asia. And so we can be generous and so liberally with other things that the Lord has entrusted us with. Something to keep in And in verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. So the amount that you give is a personal amount. It's something that's between you and God. something that you need to decide in your own heart. And there's no bright line. You can't say, I've reached the 10% mark. I'm where I need to be. God says, no, it's for your heart. Decide in your own heart what it is that you're to get. And as we go through this process of deciding what to give in our heart, we can easily deceive ourselves. For out of one's heart comes with blessings. And I found this true in my own life. 
y eso es, era cierto en mi propia vida. I remember when Bonnie and I, que me acuerdo que mi esposa Bonnie y yo, we first started going to Cornerstone. Empezamos a ir a Piedra Angular. And at that time, in my spiritual walk, I was And I mean, going to listen to Francis, and he would talk a lot about money and giving away your money and being generous. And I'll never forget leaving Cornerstone one day after one Francis' And Bonnie's talking about wanting to give away a lot of money, about wanting to increase our needs. And this stinginess is well enough And I'm bracing to my head. How could I give but still not give too much? How could I keep some for myself? I don't know if Bonnie knows this. So I told her we'll start with 10% of our income. Yeah, in Bonnie's mind, 10% of your income is 10% In my mind, 10% of my income was my gross income, less taxes, less certain non-recurring one-time expenses. So brothers and sisters, we can easily deceive ourselves when we're deciding in our heart what to give. And so although it's a personal matter, although it's a matter between you and the Lord, seek counsel. Seek counsel from people who can speak into your life in this area. Since giving is to be decided in your own heart, it's between you and God. Our giving is not for public recognition. It's something that's between you and God. Many people give for public recognition. And we need to guard against that. And so one of the safeguards that we put in place at our church is that when people give, Brett doesn't know how much people give. Because we don't want people to get recognition and we don't want Brett to favor certain people. Not that he would, but he knows. So I, I attended USC, that's where I went to college. And I was in the athletic program there. And several years after I graduated, I got a call. They were in the process of building a new sports center. It's called a Blue Sports Center. It's an arena, basically, to play basketball and volleyball and other sports. And the athletic department called me and they said, Trent, we're building this game center and we want to put your name on a plaque at the center. I thought, this is great. Put my name up on the plaque. Let's go for it. And then she said, that'll be $5,000. And I said, I want my name on the plaque. Because I'm cheap, I didn't care so much about the public recognition. But many people will give if there's an incentive for public recognition. Also in verse 7, I want you to take note. You know, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The verb decided here in the Greek which I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce. It's only used one time in the whole Bible. And it means as each has purpose. 
or to choose for oneself. So having purpose something is something that's deliberate. It's something that you act on with thought. It's not an impulsion. It's not, oh, I'm going to give $3,000 today out of compulsion. Our giving should be calculated and considered and thought about. So the Corinthians who promised to give this gift to Paul need a full year to prepare to give this gift. But it was something that they had thought through, that they had calculated, that they were thinking about. In order to make a purpose decision and planning what to get, you have to be actively managing your resources and stewarding what God has given us. Now, let me make this point. Everyone here is a steward. Whether you like it or not, you're a steward. Because your possessions are not your own. And the closest we have, I think, is a good example. Think of a bank. When I get my paycheck, it's deposited in the bank. I expect it to be there when I go to the bank. And I expect it to earn interest as well. From the bank's perspective, that money that the bank has is not their money. But they have a legal responsibility to take care of that. To put safeguards in place to ensure that that money is going to be used for what purpose I want it to be used for. And so we have to be stewards. We have to be actively managing what God's given us. The less you plan, the less you'll give. There was a period of time after Barney and I had left Cornerstone to form these neighborhood churches. And so Bonnie and I had decided Entonces, since we're moving away from Cornerstone, we're going to stop giving regularly. But I had no plan. Pero no tenía yo plan para I hadn't carefully considered what I was no doing. No <laughs> so after a year of us meeting, I was preparing, I was going through my classes. And I was looking at my giving. I hadn't really sat down and thought about it, considered and contemplated how generous we had actually been. That year we gave less than five hundred dollars for it. Wasn't necessarily a, it wasn't necessarily a lack of generosity. No era que no estábamos, que no éramos generosos. The generosity may have been there. But we didn't, we didn't purposely decide what we were going to give back to the Lord. So to sum this up, we should be generous with what God's entrusted us with. We should decide in our heart what the Lord would have us to do and carefully consider it. So what is the result of this? What is the result of sowing our seeds sparingly? If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 11. 
Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He clearly says that he will multiply your seed for sowing. Based on all the commentaries I've read, that have conflicting statements. It's clear that this is somewhat controversial. If I give, if I'm generous, will God give me more? Yes. God will multiply your material resources so that you can be more generous and recycle those resources. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about if you give, you will get. If you give, God will increase your possessions. No. If you give generously, God will increase your generosity and give you the power to give more, all the more for others, not for ourselves, not for personal gain or wealth accumulation. He also says there will be increase in righteousness. There'll be spiritual blessings that come along with generosity. The more you trust in God, the closer your relationship with Him is, the more you submit to Him, the more you conform to Christ, the more your righteousness is increased. And ultimately, God will be glorified through our generosity, through the overflow of our thanksgiving to God. So I'd like each of us to ask ourselves in your heart. Are you a generous person? Do the people who know you best consider you to be generous? Are you characterized by generosity? What should you do if you're not generous? Throughout chapters 8 and 9, Paul speaks about this grace that's abounding. This grace that's abounding in grace that's abounding a great example of that is in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, generosity comes out of God's grace abounding in your life. It's something you can't muscle up. It's something you can't muster. It's something you can't try harder to do. Because it happens to God's grace abounding in our lives. I hate to say it, but it comes back to this. If you're not generous, the way to get grace abounding in your life to enable you to become more generous it's to understand the truth of the gospel. Then to submit to the Lord. Then grace will be abounding in your life. Then you'll have the power to be generous. If you look at 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul sums it up. By the approval of this service, it will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your confession of the gospel 
They know the truth. They believe the truth. Submission that comes from their confession. They submitted themselves to Christ. Out of that submission comes God's abounding grace. So the big idea here is that if we have grace abounding in our lives because of our love for and submission to Jesus Christ, we can't help Father God, thank you so much for this message of generosity. God, help us to be a church that has grace abounding in our lives, Father, so that we can be generous for Help us to live out what you've talked about in Corinthians where those who've been abundance are sharing with those in need, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand the truth, Father. To submit to you, And to increase in our own righteousness, Lord. Amen. Okay, now begin for the business section of the presentation. So, we're in the process right now of forming our budget. In our fiscal year for the church runs from July to June. So we're planning out how are we going to spend these resources that God's entrusted us with over the next 12 months. And we don't want to compare ourselves to others. But it's important for us to assess where we're at. And putting together the budget I came across some interesting statistics and doing any kind of statistics. So the average middle middle class church goer in America is on average two and a half per year. The highest giving has been in this country was during the Great Depression. And at that point in time, giving was three and a half percent. Another thing that's interesting is that on average. The people who get the highest percentage of their income are those making less than dollars a year. And those making more than $100,000 a year. what I get from this is that on average as a whole, middle class America is not stewarding their resources. They're not quite poor and they may be trying to live beyond their needs a third of all Christians say it's impossible for them to get ahead because of death. On average, 85% of church budgets are spent on buildings. And in America, on average, $40 billion is given to the church, which is the same amount of money we spend on each year. There are certain principles that we're trying to discuss in setting the budget for the church. And one of the key principles that we have is that we want to be outwardly. Oh, by the way, another which I forgot to put up there. On average, less than five percent of churches, five percent, is still not outreach and benevolence and mission. It's all internal. What we want to do is spend more than 50% of what God's entrusted with us on external activities. We want what we've been entrusted with in the cycle to be a blessing to the community. We budget within our means. 
tenemos que estar en nuestro puesto. So we'll never go into debt. We'll never, we'll never spend beyond what our, what our no, needs are. Vamos a gastar más de lo que tenemos. And we want to be flexible. Although it's good to plan, we have to live with an open hand and be ready to change our plans and plans. And then we ensure that there's a process of financial accountability. And all giving is kept confidential. So when we talk about transparency here, anyone who's a member of this church can have access to and look at where we're spending our money. The only thing we won't give you is giving records. Because that's a personal So this is... And then beyond both the facility costs, we have all these different things to do. So one thing to highlight is, you don't see a lot of them here, where the costs are solid. Bert doesn't take a salary. He participates in the giving just like every other member of the church. And so you can see we have a focus on the community. We're hoping to do an after-school program in the fall. We're hoping to start a recovery program. We set aside money for financial assistance and benevolence for those So what we've done here is we've tried to take all those costs and figure out how much of that $55,000 are we spending on ourselves versus Right now, we have a lot of mientras que se está cambiando este where a place where he just happens to be here on Sunday a lot of the percentage Feel them all the bread, please. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I'm, more than, I'm more than willing to talk yes, to people about the, no. about the thing. That's it.